welcome to Just an Ordinary Girl. I'm your host. My husband calls me babe, my kiddos call me mama, but you can call me Stevie. I'm Just an Ordinary Girl, helping listeners find the extraordinary life through the extraordinary God. Proverbs 19.21 says many plans are in the heart of man, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And it rings so true when it comes to Just an Ordinary Girl podcast. I have created a schedule of sorts on topics I wanted to discuss and when would be a good time to do that. My kids were a major part of that. Of all the hats that I wear, my mom hat, it's my favorite. So I had planned on incorporating way more of these blessings of mine into the podcast. But if you listen regularly, and I hope you do, God led me different directions every week. I'm glad he did. I believe the messages were important and God did great things through them. But I am thrilled about today's topic. And you may even hear in my voice that it's actually a little bit easier for me to talk about my kids. My oldest son just turned 16 this week. You guys, I'm struggling. (laughs) When he was nine years old, he came bounding down the stairs announcing that he was halfway grown up. I quickly told him he needed to slow down. Nine years is still a long time, and without skipping a beat, he replied, Yeah, but look how fast the first nine years went. Ugh. And with that, I was doubled over as if I had been punched in the stomach with a mom grief over my baby growing up so fast. Each year, I can't help but count down the years before he goes to college. Now I'm at two, two more years, and it's killing me. Yeah, I can't handle it. As a homeschool mom, I can get myself into a dark tunnel of asking, am I doing enough? Did I teach him what he needs to know to succeed in college? Have I equipped him with the life lessons that he needs in order to live outside of our home? Am I going to be able to get all these lessons in within two years And that dreaded question, have I failed him? Maybe you don't actually have to be a homeschool mom to understand these concerns. I'm not sure. But it's just compounded when knowing that even language arts is sitting on my shoulders. Now, I don't say that to be a complaint. I am actually very honored to be able to be these four kiddos' mama's mama. But each day, their schoolwork gets harder. And every single time my daughter asks for help in geometry, my weakest subject... I cringe inside and fight back major insecurities. And then I take my deep breath, I say my quick prayer, and I walk over to help figure out a problem that I most likely am not going to understand myself. I mean, we do pretty good. We figure it out together, and I get to be vulnerable with my kids and tell them that they are actually smarter than me, and look how great I turned out to be. Yeah, they roll their eyes at that one too. I'm all right with that. The thing is, parenting is hard. Just when you get past the sleepless nights of crying babies who teeth forever, and then you have busy toddlers. And if you're lucky enough to get sleep at all, no amount of sleep gives you quite enough energy to manage those busy, climbing, mess-making toddlers. And then you get to the school-age kids, and you finally feel that there's light at the end of the tunnel. But then stories of bullies and peer pressure and academic standards cloud your mind. These cute babies, busy toddlers, now have a mind of their own. They go to school, gain friends and influences all around them, begin to shape them, and then there's this thing that happens. They start acting kind of weird. (laughs) Okay, here's the deal. I love teenagers. I really do. Don't get me wrong. I hate that they have a bad rep. Most teens, they're truly amazing. I rarely meet ones that are the stereotype that's portrayed everywhere. 
Now, we were youth pastors for 11 years, and even before we were married, we were both leaders in youth ministry, and I am currently serving as our church's youth pastor. I mean, I just last night had a house full of teens celebrating my son's 16th birthday. I actually love these mini adults. They're amazing, but their brains are broken. I sometimes feel like I'm going to lose my ever-loving mind over trying to figure out my teen's mindset sometimes. I once read an article, and if I can find it, I'm going to post it, but it explained what's going on in the brain of a teen, and it's kind of horrible. I mean, they have just a few short years to go from complete child to complete adult. That is a lot of work. Your child's biggest, fastest growth growth spurt second from when they were tiny babies. It's going to typically last between 24, 36 months. That's two years to three years. That's really a long time. And while it's difficult to say how much your child's going to grow height-wise, you can count on most of it happening between 10 and 14 for girls and 12 and 16 for boys. And it's not all about their height. It's the capacity of that's in their brains, the things that are forming and growing inside their head. Now, I remember thinking how much my baby had changed from turning two versus three. It was like the night before they turned two, I remember thinking they were such babies still. You know, they have that little chub on them still. They still kind of talk different. And then the night before they turned three, it's like they're this grown-up all of a sudden. They seemed so much older in my mind. But even that couldn't prepare me for the massive change these poor teens go through. Their brains are going through critical development changes right now, so they make some really dumb mistakes and choices, and they go about their day where we think, what in the world? So back to my 16-year-old. He's amazing. He is so caring. He is such a good helper. He's so smart, you guys. He is just like his dad. He's very, very smart in that. And he's a little too much like me in other areas. So of all the kids, for some reason, he and I butt heads a lot. He argues like I argue. So I was finding that we were kind of arguing a lot. I'm sure many moms of teens can relate to this, but because he's so sweet and so loving, he oftentimes would gain his composure and he'd actually come back for a hug or let me approach him with a hug we always seem to make up lift up move on but one day i had to sit him down and go through talking to him about this transition that he was going and going through and i thought if i read the article maybe it would help him so i kind of thought i should tell him about it i mean we kind of go through this thing with our kids about what to expect with their changing bodies during puberty but we don't always tell them what their brains are going through so basically i said bud your brain's broken <sighs> just to kind of get his reaction but in reality it's it's really messed up <laughs> but then i continued to tell him that while his brain is developing it resorts to using the portion of the brain that doesn't always think things through there may be more technical terms for all this i'm aware of that but if, when you're speaking to a boy with a broken brain you know you gotta you got to bring it to their level. I explained to him that at this age, he was having the second most dramatic growth spurt, and it wasn't just in height that his brain was trying to make connections all while growing taller, and sometimes the brain just gets muddled and confused, and they make bad choices. I reassured him that things will get better, that I was going to try to take all this into consideration when I was dealing with him, 
but that he did need to work a little harder to overcome the obstacle, that I was sure he'd come out on the other side fully functioning, that his brain would be fixed. I needed to know this. He needed to understand why he was making the oddest decisions. Okay, so one day I asked him to clean the kitchen. Ten minutes later, I saw him sitting in the living room, and I look in the kitchen, and it's still a mess. I asked why he hadn't cleaned the kitchen. He literally had forgotten. Now, he is not a disobedient child, so if I had asked him to do it, he wasn't going to just flat out not do it. But he literally walked away to put something away and then completely forgot that he was in the middle of this task. Now, this was two years ago, so about, you know, between 13 and 14 years old. So I had asked him to finish the kitchen. Ten minutes later, although the kitchen was better, he still hadn't wiped down the counters. So I politely, well, maybe more frustrated than politely, reminded him to wipe down the counters. This time I stood close by to be sure. And I watched this very smart boy walk aimlessly around the kitchen like he was looking for something, totally oblivious to what he needed to do. Then he finally remembered that he was going to wash down the counters, so he sprays them down and proceeded to get a rag out of the dirty laundry basket that's in our basement stairway. And he wiped down my kitchen cabinets with it. Now, the only dirty rag that was in that basket was the one that I had just used to clean my toilets. I gasped. I squealed. I said, what are you doing? Why are you wiping down my kitchen counters with poop water towel? I tend to get a tad dramatic to make a point sometimes. He looked totally blank at me and says, well, I don't know what else to use. You guys, we have a drawer where I store fresh, clean kitchen washcloths. I'm sure you have one in your home too. This boy has seen that drawer, has gotten towels out of it before, but seriously, his brain was broken. So when I read articles telling me that the brain's working hard on the inside, it helps me when I see that it is clearly not working on the outside. And sorry to say, research shows it's harder for boys. Now I have a 14-year-old daughter and I can say this does seem to be true. (laughs) It's rough and it's hard to bring ourselves back to when they were babies and so sweet and so cuddly and smelled so much better when we're in the middle of the poop water towel situation. And if my thoughts are correct, many parents of teens are facing more issues than toilet water washcloths on their kitchen counters, right? But here's what I'm reminded of. Back in 2003, we had prayed and decided it was time for us to start a family. We were so excited about the idea of having kids that we had no clue that it doesn't just happen because we want it to. When I see couples who desire to have kids fight with infertility, my heart breaks. I always stop and pray earnestly for them because although I didn't have infertility issues, I got a glimpse of how heartbreaking it was to see a negative pregnancy test month after month or begin a cycle when you were hoping for something else. I remember thinking after a year that, We just may not have a baby. And I'd spend hours in tears praying. I'd doodle baby names, dream about nursery decor, only to find out days later that we were not pregnant. I'd fight myself to be happy when others announced their pregnancy. Of course, I was excited for them, but why not me? I'll never forget finding out a 17-year-old girl was pregnant and crying so hard for so long, asking, why her God and not me? Did he know I'd be a bad mom and was saving the world for my offspring? What was his plan in it all? It was the hardest year for me. And I grieve over women who have five years of that or 10 years or a lifetime with that sadness. I don't really have any words because I can't even imagine your pain, but I pray 
that God comforts in ways that I don't know how. So in June of 2004, I was having some issues staying awake. I worked at a daycare and would fall asleep while they were outside if I would sit down, so I had to pace a lot. During my nap time with the kids, my husband found me asleep at my desk. It was really bad. One time I had teens over to watch a movie and I fell asleep while they were watching. My husband finally said, if you aren't pregnant, you might have mono. But this time I was too scared to take the pregnancy test. Finally, I decided it was time, but it was a slow test. After three minutes, only one line showed up. I threw it away and cried again. I was convinced this time that it wasn't mono. I knew I was pregnant, but there was that negative test. I had to be at work, so I finished getting ready while I cried out to God yet again when I felt this small, quiet voice tell me to look again. If you've ever been trying to conceive and you've taken a thousand negative tests, you eventually stop staring and acknowledge the fact that the test was negative and you move on. So the thought of digging this one out of the trash was not making me feel encouraged. But I did it. And there it was, the faintest of faint lines. And I ran into where my husband was sleeping and made him look. He didn't have his glasses on. He had just been awakened by me jumping up and down on the bed, literally. But he squinted and tried to focus and said, Yeah, I I see it. It's super faint, though. Is that okay? Hey, a line's a line. And from then on, my life was changed. When this child of mine was born, he was a tiny version of this 16-year-old boy that sits next to me every day. Very little has changed with his personality. The baby was so sweet, but independent from the beginning. He, We thought he was colic. He cried so much, and then one day, about two weeks in, I just laid him down so I could walk away and take a breath, and he just stopped crying. He'd smile and coo and have the happiest of demeanors if I just laid him down. He actually slept through the night by four weeks, don't kill me, <laughs> but he did because uh, we told him to. You think I'm joking, but both my husband and I would rock at him at night, and we'd say, now stop that crying and go to sleep. And the boy would just close his eyes and go to sleep. When it happened to me the first time, I was scared that he had died in my arms. No kidding. He literally went from crying to sleeping like that. I was too scared to tell my husband. I was afraid that he would think that I was mean. But a few weeks later, my husband said, hey, back a few weeks ago, about when our kid was about three weeks old, He wasn't calming to sleep, and my husband said he looked him in the eye and said, Stop that crying and go to sleep, and the three-week-old just immediately stopped crying and fell asleep. We laughed so hard at the fact that we both experienced it and that we were both too terrified to tell the other. He was always and still is a rule follower and obedient child. Now, don't worry. I had three more kids after him, and that did not work for any of them. None of them. Now, we named this wonder child Zechariah. We changed it from our original plan of Matthew. Matthew means gift of God, and we loved that name. We loved the meaning. And indeed, he was a gift from God. And we knew that the moment that that faint line showed up on the test, that God was giving us a gift. But Zechariah means the Lord remembered. And I get choked up every time I say that, every time I think of that, because I prayed so hard for him I prayed so fervently to be a mother, and many months I was convinced that God had forgotten me, that he no longer heard my prayers. I I laid that lack of baby at Jesus' feet so many times, and in my heartbroken mind, I imagined laying him down and God just walking right over it and forgetting that I was even there. 
In the weeks before we found out that we were pregnant, I was at the altar, the front of our church, and I was conversing with God, and I was praying, and I was saying, Your words are true, whether I hold a baby in my arms or not. When you say you're never going to leave me nor forsake me, that is not dependent on my role as a mother or not. When you speak to us in your word about knowing the plans that you have for us, that does not change just because I don't have a child in my womb. And so I had committed my life at that moment to say, Lord, I will serve you even if my dream and my hopes do not come true. I walked through scripture after scripture reminding myself that God's love for me, his plan for me, is not dependent upon my desire to have a baby. And I said, I will delight myself in you, Lord. I had to choose happiness in the life that God gave me. So when he did choose to give me a child, we chose to name him to reflect our thoughts. Zechariah, the Lord remembered. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to share this with an audience that I don't know because I'm always so careful when speaking to a woman who is experiencing infertility because my story ended differently. And I'd imagine that it would be hard to hear what I've just said when you feel God has truly forgotten you. But here's the truth. He hasn't. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our plans and our goals and we call out to God asking him to grant us those things Good things. I mean, how great to be a parent, right? And still, God doesn't grant those requests. I don't know why. I don't know why he chooses young teens or moms who don't even want kids over women who are longing for a baby. I really don't have a clue. But I stand firmly on knowing that God knows what he's doing. He has a plan. He has a way. He has a purpose. I don't even try to speculate as to what that purpose might be. But I believe it. And for a year back in 2003, 2004, I maybe didn't believe it in my heart that to be true. But since then, I've become a studier of God's word, and his word tells me otherwise. Maybe infertility isn't what you're facing, but you totally understand the idea of God forgetting about you. You have felt it. Maybe you are feeling it right now. And in the midst of this lie that you've heard and feel, it's really hard to grasp fully grasp that God has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. He loves you. He sees your pain. He feels your tears and he hears your groans. It's a very lonely place to be in when you feel God has forgotten you. When you've prayed, read the Bible, you've read articles, self-help books, sought out friends who can encourage you, and yet you walk around with this massive weight of believing that the God of the universe has just simply passed right over you. But listeners, listen, he hasn't. Sometimes our desire can become so big, we can't see how God's working things out. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our minds can't even comprehend it. But God's plans are higher than ours. I get the sense that someone is about ready to turn the podcast off, walk away, shake their heads. She doesn't get it. How can God plan this pain for my life? This optimistic outlook isn't going to work for the pain this deep, this cutting, this hurtful. Yeah, she doesn't get it. Yeah, maybe I don't. Not everyone is going to experience the same level of pain and hurt. And not everyone has longed for something so deeply, maybe that you have. Not everyone will understand, and maybe I don't. 
I mean, how could I fully understand? But I do know someone who does. Philippians 2.7 says that Jesus took on the likeness of man. He has every emotion that a human had. He was 100% human as he walked the earth. And then Hebrews 4.15 says that he sympathizes with our weakness. Of course, Jesus never dealt with infertility. He was never married, never went that path. But because he's also 100% God, he has the ability to know and understand what we may not know and understand within ourselves. So when we feel forgotten, overlooked, pushed to the side, that's not Jesus giving us those feelings. Instead, it's quite the opposite. God tells us in Deuteronomy to be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. When the Israelites left Egypt with Moses, I'm sure they never expected to wander the desert for 40 years. I'd imagine they felt God had led them astray, that he had forgotten them altogether. You can read of all these stories throughout Exodus and see that they believed that to their core that God had forgotten them, and they began to doubt God because of it. I have to be honest, Zech, short for Zechariah, he's not my easiest child. He and I have struggled. I'll never forget that moment when I felt like I wasn't cut out for this job that I had prayed so long to have. When he was two, we chose to potty train him. Something within me came out that I didn't even know was there. I'd never been an angry person before. I had never raised my voice to another person, ever. And here I was, fuming with anger and frustration at a two-year-old. I will never forget the day that I yelled at him for the first time. In his face, he was two. Now, how pitiful is that when you hear it out loud? God must have made a mistake, assuming that I could be a good mom. I couldn't even get my kid to pee in a toilet. How would I ever raise him to be a functioning adult, especially with a heart of anger? Of course, a lot of this had to do with lack of sleep from baby number two, who did not listen when we told her to go to sleep. We tried that trick just in case it would work. It did not. But I was simply convinced that God had heard my cries, got tired of listening, and said, fine, have it your way, but you're going to suck at it. We get out there in the wilderness and we no longer feel God close, probably because we've pulled our problems in closer than we pulled God in. So when God says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Yeah, we come up with a million reasons why that's not true. We know our problems. He obviously doesn't, right? And we continue to walk through life in a state of abandonment, self-doubt, pain, and sorrow because we've held so close to those dreams not fulfilled and we've let God go further away. We gave Zek the middle name David after his daddy, of course. My prayer has always included that my sons be like their daddy. Our second son, we gave him his dad's middle name, Paul. But Dave, my husband, was named after David of the Bible. And what a mighty man to mimic. It was David of the Old Testament who reminds us to search within ourselves and ask ourselves those tough questions. In Psalm 43, he says, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. When we are in over our heads and what is not happening in our lives and how our plans have gone so far off the path than what we had hoped, we begin to feel that moment of abandonment from God. That's when we need to remind ourselves where our hope lies. It's not in the dream that's not fulfilled. It's in God. And if you're a parent, you know how this is. There's no way to know what type of parent you're going to be until you actually become one. 
And many times I've stopped and thought, man, I really planned on doing things differently. I can't believe that this is the way that I I turned out to be. I'm not perfect, and you can ask my firstborn. He's going to tell you that right off. He's so much like me that he begins to reflect me. If I'm in a funk, he's in a funk. If I yell too much, he yells too much. It's great to have a kid like this because when you're doing things great, it's really fun to see that reflection. Man, oh man, when you're not doing things right and you're way wrong, that reflection hits you hard. Zek's a tad bit bossy. Yeah, because I'm a tad bit bossy. So when he mixed his bossy with a bad attitude and reprimanding his younger siblings the way I was reprimanding them, I saw how I looked through his eyes and it broke me. And it still does at times. At times he's the most unflattering mirror that I've ever looked in. And unfortunately it's not one of those distorted mirrors. But I can take that to my advantage. I can praise God for the opportunity to see what my actions look like and I can deal with them. You see, David from the Old Testament faced pretty big battles. Some were of no fault of his own, but many were because he wanted his way and not God's way. But once he realized it, he went back to the basics, back to God to redraw his plans. And as hard as it may seem to give up dreams and plans and desires that you've held so dear to, the plan that God has is much grander. Another David Psalm says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God won't leave you. He won't forget you. The Lord remembered you the day you became his, and he won't ever stop remembering you knowing you, loving you. He is the strength of our hearts. Give that desire that you're holding so dearly to, give it to him. Let him shape it and mold it and give it back to you. It may be tweaked a tad. It may be changed completely. Or it may just be delayed. Whatever the case may be, be assured that when your desire is his desire, you're going to love the journey way more than fighting your way through it. 16 years into this motherhood thing, and the journey is amazing. Yes, there are trials. Yes, there are things that I never dreamed I wanted or that I needed. But God has brought me through and has given me such an amazing insight, all because he answered that one prayer and that he remembered me. Remember, Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Just don't be surprised if your desires are a direct result of your delight in Him. Thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Ordinary Girl Stevie.